The word is glom, and that means to take, steal, seize, or catch. And here's a sample sentence. In reality, he's a crook who glommed clinic funds for everything from plane trips to theater tickets to $20,000 in takeout sushi. And that appeared in the New York Daily News on June 15th, 2013. And let's travel back to 1886. Richard Warren Sears was 23 years old, and he was working at the time on the railroad. And at the time, his station received a shipment of gold watches from a Chicago manufacturer. But at the time, the person who was a jeweler, his name was Edward Stagerson, he refused the shipment. Now, why did he refuse the shipment? Well, at the time, there was a scam going on. And the scam was this. There would be wholesalers who would send their products to retailers who had not ordered them. Now, when the retailer refused it, the wholesaler would offer the already high-priced items back to the reseller at a lower cost in the disguise of alleviating the cost to ship the items back. The retailer would then take the newfound bargain off the wholesaler's hands, mark up the items and sell them to the public, making a small profit in the transaction. But Stagerson was a retailer and he knew it was a scam, so he refused it. But Sears came up to him and made an agreement with the wholesaler to keep any profit that he made above $12. And then Sears began to sell all of the watches along the railroad line for $14. And the watches at the time were considered a mark of status. And the railroad kept growing and also time zones were changing. Well, farmers and railroad operators needed to keep time accurately and it really hadn't been necessary up until that point. So the people at the railroad had no trouble selling all of these watches. And now within six months, Sears had made over $5,000. And he very, felt very com confident in what he was doing. In his abilities, he felt extremely confident. And he moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota and founded the R.W. Sears Watch Company. He began putting ads in farm publications and sending flyers to potential clients. Now, from the beginning, Sears was great at writing promotional copy. He took a personal approach in his ads, talking directly to the rural and small-time communities, small-town communities, and he would persuade them to buy by mail order. Then, in 1887, Sears moved to Chicago and transportation saved him again. The railroad was big in Chicago, and he set up in Chicago, and he moved to Oak Park, Illinois, and then he hired a watch repairman named Alva Curtis Roebuck, and Alvis would help him repair watches that were being returned. And Roebuck was Sears' first employee, and later, he became the co-founder of Sears, Roebuck & Company, which was formed in 1891 when Sears was 30. Their first catalog, mail order catalog, was published in 1893, and it only sold watches. But four years later, they had added 
men's clothes, ladies' clothes, even plows, silverware, bicycle, athletic equipment, all have been put in a catalog. The catalog was 500 pages, and it was sent to 300,000 homes. And Sears worked on the farmer, the rural customer, because he had been raised on a farm, and he knew what the customer needed. And he also worked on the railroad, and he knew how to ship merchandise to remote areas. Now, to contrast this and sort of tie it together, when you take atoms of light elements and you squeeze them under enough pressure for the nuclei to undergo fusion, a star is born. Look what I found. A star is born. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. Right now, I'm looking at leadership, the music of Lady Gaga, and I'm just talking about a whole lot of things that will help you to do better in your own life, in your career. Find your passions, attach to your passions, and move forward in a positive direction to make a contribution that you want to make. Look what I found was on the soundtrack of the album from the movie A Star Is Born. And first of all, I loved the movie A Star Is Born. Incredible story about a couple who falls in love through their love for music. And I won't give any spoilers. The, song, the, the movie is a little bit sad. It has some uh, a tragic elements to it. But it is a powerful movie that talks about and illustrates the power of a relationship. And the powers of relationship and how, how strong relationships are and how a strong relationship can help you really accomplish what you want to accomplish in your life. And when I looked at the lyrics of Look What I Found, a couple of things stuck out to me. At the beginning of the song, Lady Gaga sings about these lyrics. I'm alone in my house. I'm out on the town. I'm at the bottom of the bottle. I've been knocking them down. I can't get up on back on my feet. See the lights on all the streetlight stars. But look what I found. Look what I found. Another piece of my heart just laying on the ground. And this is symbolic here. An individual has been hurt, has been devastated, has turned to the bottle and knocking them down. They're alone at their house. <laughs> Then we see another foggy day. I'm looking for a light, and my only prayer is working tonight. I can't get out of bed, hear these voices in my head like a song, but look what I found. And then it's going to change. Look what I found, somebody who loves me. Look what I found, somebody who carries around a piece of my heart just laying on the ground. When I met you, I was blown to pieces, heart all over the floor. Ever since you put me back together, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Look what you found. Look what I found. Someone who will carry around a piece of my heart. Look what I found. Look what I found. Somebody who loves me. Somebody who loves me. Who will pick your heart up off the ground and carry it around. William and Ellen Craft were two slaves. They got married in Macon, Georgia, in 1846, but they were held by different slave masters. 
and they didn't want to be separated. So they developed a plan, and their plan was to go from Georgia to Philadelphia. And here's what they did. Ellen was a lighter-skinned African-American, so she had a fair complexion. What she did is she cut her hair very short, and then she dressed in men's clothing and wrapped her head in bandages to pose as an injured white man. Now, William, her husband, he took on the role of her loyal black servant. Then on December 21st, 1848, they put on their disguises, got on a train, and began to head north. Now, they were worried because from the very beginning, Ellen was seated next to a close friend of her master. But luckily, her costume that she had on prevented her from being recognized. So, the next several days, they were on the train, and they were going through the South, and they were staying in nice hotels, and they were hanging out with the upper class to maintain their cover. Now, Ellen couldn't read. She couldn't write. So she put her arm in a sling so she wouldn't have to sign tickets and sign papers. Now, when they got to Charleston, they almost were caught because a clerk refused to sell them tickets without a signature. Now, luckily for them, the captain of their ship that they were on before walked by and agreed to sign for them. And then the craft got the crafts arrived in Philadelphia on Christmas Day, and they were housed by some abolitionists before going to Boston. Then they were afraid of the slave hunters, so the couple left for England. And when they got to England, they wrote their story of their escape, and together they raised a family. Connection. It's about connection. And connection is powerful. And connection will help you grow. But it's important to find the best connection. It's important to your career. It's important to your relationships to find the best connection. To find the people who will pick up your heart when it's on the ground. And that means that there will be times when your heart is on the ground. It's not all sunshine and roses. Your heart will be on the ground in your career. You will be sad. You will be devastated. You will be hurt by situations sometimes that you caused. But as you get older, they will most likely be situations that are out of your control. And they may not be fair. What do you do? You can accept the status quo. Or you can say that the status quo is no longer acceptable. And then you have to leave. The crafts made the decision that the way that they were living was unacceptable. And they had to leave. They loved each other. There is an important lesson to be learned here. 
We hear all the time about finding your why. Finding your why is powerful. But losing your why is devastating. Let's look back at Sears. Sears recently filed for bankruptcy. And their CEO since 2005 has been a hedge fund a hedge fund manager. Took over Sears. The company experienced seven years of losses, going from sales of $53 billion in 2006 to $16 billion last year. And a lot of people said that, well, it's Amazon's fault, and people don't want to shop in a brick-and-mortar store. But is that really true? Because people still go to Target. People still go to Kohl's. And when they interviewed customers... The customers were talking about the fact that the customer service was horrible. So, you had people who wanted to go to Sears. You have people who wanted to shop, buy products, but they didn't because they felt mistreated. Number one, it goes to this question, why would you hire a hedge fund manager to run a department store. Why would you do that? And the issue is, think about this, your fit in your organization, in your life. You should fit. You need to consider what your purpose is and what your why is. But then don't lose it. But then the important thing, is that you need to find your why. And then you need to build your systems and you need to have your strategies and you need to have your techniques, but they need to connect back to your why, to your organization's purpose, to your purpose. There needs to be a cause and effect relationship. So the decisions that you made need to go back to your why. Sears opened selling to farmers. And as they expanded, they expanded because of their customer service. They took care of people better than anyone else. And when you bring in a hedge fund manager who then begins to focus on making profits for investors, you're in a different business. I'm just going to say it's neutral. I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't think that a hedge fund manager making profits for his customers is a bad thing. But remember, you're in the customer service business. Warren Buffett talks about this in his letters. He discusses how you can make large profits for your investors and also have good customer service at the same time. In fact, he only will look at companies that do that, that do both. And he, he talks about this repeatedly in his letters. He talks about a small store in Nebraska that does good customer service. He talks about management and local management and empowering the people on the ground to be able to make decisions. Nassim Tlaib, in his book Skin in the Game, he discusses this too. He talks about bureaucrats who are separated from the consequences of their decisions. So 
when you're making decisions for your investors on the ground, people are getting hurt. So is it worth 30, 40,000 30, 40,000 people losing their jobs because of your poor decisions? Who is hurt? You see, the CEO of a large corporation will walk away with a lot of money. But what happens to the truck driver who loses their job? That is why it's so important to connect with your why. An investment banker can run a large organization, but that investment banker must connect to the why. The why was customer service. You have to be clear about what business you are in. If you are a hedge fund manager, then your job is to manage the funds of your customers. You need to be clear on that. That's your job. Now, if you want to do both, you then have to secure profits for your investors, but you need to realize the only way you're going to secure profits is by focusing on customer service and the why, the original why of the organization. I'm not sure if you can change whys midstream, or if you do, you have to be careful. So, think about it. Find your fit. Have a partner who is good for you and for your leadership style. And this is where you might have to make choices. You can have a bitter disagreement with somebody, but don't make it bitter. In the Bible, it says that Paul and Barnabas had just a bitter disagreement that they parted company. Now, we can have a disagreement without being bitter. We can just have a disagreement. We can be clear that your style works for you and my style works for me, and we both can move forward and make a contribution. We don't have to hurt each other. There is a lot of work to be done. And that's what I think in a lot of conflict that occurs, that we forget that there's a lot of work to be done, that we can have our separate styles, we can have our separate systems, we can have our separate beliefs. There's plenty of work to do. You always see this. Coffee shops are all over the place. Well, you don't have to compete if you own a coffee shop. You just need to find people who drink coffee. And we're not going to run out of people who drink coffee. So there's no need to try to compete against the other coffee providers. Bernadette Jiwa talks about in this in her book, Story. When you know your story, you don't have to compete. So you don't need to look to the competition. Why would you look to the competition if you already know that you are a very good employee? You are talented. You don't need to study the competition. You just be the best you. John Wooden talks about this. He only talks about we don't compete against the other team on the floor. We are competing against the best version of ourselves. And if you are the best version of yourself each and every night, you will make the change that you want to make. And that is what we need to be thinking about. Look what I found. A star is born. You are the star. Remember that. You are the star. You're, and when you landed on planet Earth, you were born. Find your partner. Find your community. Find the people who will 
pick your heart up off the ground when you need it picked up. And be okay to say, we're not a good fit. It doesn't mean we're not friends. just means that we're not fit for this relationship. And we can have other relationships, but we're not fit for this one. And then you will make the change that you want to make. This is Stephen Thompson, and thank you for listening to my experience. I want you to go out today. I want you to do this for me. First of all, I want you to look up at the sky and think about what you have. And then I want you to put your feet on the ground. And while your feet are on the ground, think about this moment, this moment right now. And I want you to look around at your, your surroundings, and I want you to simply say, this is what I have. And then I want you to move forward from that spot. And think about the contribution that you want to make with the gifts that you have and answer those questions for you. And then move forward. And know that even though I'm not physically in front of you, I believe in you. I know that you can do it. Go out. Go out and make the change that you want to make and serve the people you want to serve. Have a great one.